Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. December 1st, here we are. We're opening up a new series and I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, Luke is one that I've never uh, have preached through. I've read, read through it, of course, but never really have taught through it. And today is our first message and series in that. Now, how many of you have ever read a story or read a book or you've seen a movie in which it takes various points of view? It would show a scene, but then it goes and repeats that scene, but from a different point of view. Every, know what I'm talking about? Movie, books, sometimes. And it's always interesting to kind of get what someone else would see. It. Yeah, it's kind of like in, a, in, a, in any criminal trial or traffic or anything like that. You may have a group of witnesses, but the witnesses don't always coincide and agree on certain things because the, their viewpoint, the way they saw it, the things that they bring into it as they're, they're giving an eyewitness account is always a little bit different. So that's what's so interesting about the Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's help us, it helps us to understand more fully what is happening, and we repeat things that we want people to know and understand and expect. And so what we see in the Gospels, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is it continually gives us what we call four Gospels, three Gospels that are the same. The Scriptures are no different. It wants us to understand, to know, and what to expect. In the beginning of the New Testament, we find the four Gospels, that give an account of the life, the ministry, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Now, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were called the Synoptic Gospels, meaning that they share many of the same stories from a different point of view. A lot of times, the chronological uh, is the same. Sometimes there's just a few differences here and there. Those are not contradictions, but different points of view. They stand in contrast, though, with John's Gospels, whose content is very distinct in its telling of Christ's life. Now, this morning, we're going to begin a new series sermon on the Gospel of Luke, and that's what you have here is a whole copy of it. And today, we're going to be looking at the Luke uh, Gospel of Luke from a 30,000-foot view, as we tend to do as we start it. First, I want to share with you some things that set Luke's account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ apart from that of the other Gospels. So there's a uniqueness in the Gospel of Luke. So I'm just going to give you a couple facts. There's no notes for this. There's no screens on it. But it's the longest Gospel and the New Testament book with a word count of over 19,000 words. Though Matthew has 28 chapters to Luke's 24, Luke is actually a longer descriptive uh, book. It's the only Gospel by this, and I think it's actually the only book in the Bible written by a Gentile. It is based on, it is the basis for the popular film Jesus, the Jesus film. I don't know, anyone ever seen the Jesus film? Anyone here? It's actually a good film. It's been uh, uh, translated in over 1,700 languages with over 572, listen to this, million decisions for Christ after watching it. It strongly, speaking of the, not the film, but the book, the gospel, strongly gives warnings to the rich while it sympathizes with the poor and the social outcast. It features abundance of food, meals, and community. And I think it's interesting, as you go through this, you'll see Luke is very much of people eating and doing things uh, together. One pastor said that he did a series of Luke, and he called it Meals with Jesus. 
It focuses much on worship. It features the workings of the Holy Spirit much more than the other Gospels do. And we're going to see that next week as we get into the Holy Spirit is already at work in the life of John the Baptist and Jesus through their parents. It details more of Jesus' early life that we don't see in the other Gospels. And it features parables that are not in the other Gospels as the parable of the two debtors, the Good Samaritan, a friend at midnight, a rich fool, the punishment, barren tree, lost coin, the prodigal son, the shrewd manager, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, the persistent widow and the Pharisee and the tax collector. So it's definitely a book of stories and doing things together. Now, Matthew depicts Jesus as the king. You see that, as you might remember, years ago, in 2000, I think 2007, 2008, I think we started the book of Matthew. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus showing that he is king. Mark, as you saw several years ago, depicts Jesus as the son of man. He was the one who was going to come. John depicts Jesus as the son of God. While Luke, as we go through Luke, is going to depict Jesus as a servant, one who serves others. Now, there's just a few things that make, those are just a few things, excuse me, that make Luke's gospel unique. And I think it's going to be interesting as we read through that and we can compare the other gospels. Luke is doing something so much different than we see in the others. Now, myself, I'm excited that we get to take part in this journey together. We plan on taking our time as we go through this gospel in order to capture and understand why Luke's account is included in the canon of scripture and why Luke is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. So we will take some years going through this with a break here and there. So I assume or predict that this will probably take us at least three and a half, four years uh, with the breaks that we go through this. So I want you to, to get in on the journey with us. It's going to be a long one, but it's going to be a good one. So with that, I want you to turn to the first chapter and let's read the very first four verses of Luke. It's a good place to start in any book is at the beginning. In Luke chapter one, verses one through four, Luke writes this, Inasmuch as many have untake, undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And Father, that's what we look for this morning. We want to have certainty of the things that we have received, the things that we have been taught, the things that we have believed. So we thank you for Luke. We thank you for his ministry, that he was open to your use of the Holy Spirit through his life. Father, for his faithful companionship to Paul. Father, to the fact that we now, 2,000 years later, can open up these pages and be assured that these are the words that have been God-breathed for us. So let's open up with sober-minded, but yet with excitement, ready to read and receive what you have. And Father, may your Holy Spirit just work in us that we may respond to these precious, wonderful words of life. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Though it's not stated in this prologue, and by the way, this is one 
full sentence. We don't, we do, I, don't, I don't think many of us are taught to read or to write this way, but this is one long sentence, this prologue. Luke has been considered the author without much dispute over the history. Writings from the church fathers from early as the second century have confirmed the church's belief and acceptance of Luke as the author. From other scriptures, we can fill out a short autobiography or biography sketch of who Luke was. We find from scripture that he was most likely a second generation Gentile believer. He was not one who met Jesus, but he is one that had received from those that had met Jesus, those that had been discipled by Jesus. He was a receiver, a a second generation Gentile believer. He was a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. He was a physician and a historian who wrote both this gospel and he actually wrote uh, the, the, uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, we read that he was the final companion of Paul near the end of his life. Paul, as he is in prison for the very last time, knowing that his death is near, lamented that it was only Luke that was with him. So he was with him to the end. This gospel was most likely written sometime between 64 and 70 A.D. From Luke chapter 1 verse 3, we read that his intended audience was primarily Theophilus, who most likely was the patron of this gospel. In those days, they would have a patron, just like an art or some, an artist or someone like that. Someone who would pay for the work to be done. We don't know anything else about him. But we, we assume that he was the patron of this book. And we'll see that Acts itself was also written to this man. Luke clearly states that his purpose of writing this book was to give an orderly account on what had been received and believed by these Gentile believers. It becomes clear as you read that he's consulting living eyewitnesses uh, of the events surrounding the life of Jesus. And he's investigating firsthand uh, the claims of the miraculous works of Jesus. Again, Luke is the longest of the gospel narratives, but it's also the most thorough and most complete that we have of Christ. The gospel of Luke is history. It is written as a factual account compiled from eyewitnesses uh, to the events of Christ's life. We will see that Luke probably had access to Mary, Jesus's mother, who shared how she came to be with child. Now the setting of Luke, as we go through that, we're going to see that it has several breaks. It's easy to follow it through its geography. As we come to chapter 4, as we get away from Jesus' early life, we're going to see that Jesus teaches and he heals in, in Galilee for about five chapters. Then as we go from chapter, almost chapter 10 to chapter 20, Jesus is setting out for Jerusalem. This is the travelogue, things that Jesus is doing as he's setting his face to Jerusalem, knowing where he's going to die. And as we come to chapter 19, verse 45, we see that Jesus finally arrives at Jerusalem And we follow the last days of his life. So as you're reading through Luke, follow through and you can see what is going on and where it's being happening and what the purpose of that, uh, what is going on. Now, Luke's main themes include three things. It includes salvation, which is the good news for the poor. It also includes prayer. Prayer is very much part of the teaching of Luke. And actually, you'll see teaching on prayer Uh, in more in Luke than any other of the Gospels. 
Also, the joy is very much uh, surrounding the theme of Luke as the good news causes people to regularly glorify God with great joy. So salvation, prayer, and joy is three of the big themes that you're going to see interwoven through Luke's gospel. Now, important, here's where we need to come to. How are we to look at and interpret this book as we read through it? Well, what's very important is for every book of the Bible, you and I need to ask the question, where does Luke's gospel fit in the story of the Bible? You and I are going to read Luke differently than we read Numbers. This differently as we looked at the life of Elijah. So where does it fit in the story of the Bible? Now, as we have shared before, it is very important to know where you are in the Bible, in the story of the Bible, when you read and study and meditate on Scripture. As a matter of review, and for those who may not have heard this before, the Bible is made up of thousands of stories, hundreds of characters, many various settings. It was written by more than 40 human authors. It was written by people from diverse backgrounds from a long period of time, written on three different continents, though that just seems kind of oxymoron, doesn't it? Three different, three continents. And it contains 66 books. However, there is one story of the Bible. Would anyone like to share with me those nine simple words as we look at it? That's going to be my theme, for, by the way, for 2020. Nine simple words. Nine simple words. Yes, the prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. So how does Luke tell that story? Well, we're going to find Luke has a very important detail of that story. It has one unified story that was breathed up by God. It's designed to reveal God's calling and his plan and his purpose. To send the prince who would slay the dragon and win the girl. This one unified story is woven throughout its over 600 thousand words. Yet this story unveils through four themes. You know them. Creation. God creates a beautiful world. He sets man and woman in there so that they may, so that they may become the mediators, the representatives of God and fill the earth. But yet we come to the fall very quickly in chapter three of the book of Genesis. Man falls and disobeys and rebels against God. But yet then in that chapter, halfway through, we see the, in 3.15, we see the redemption, the promise of redemption. And most of scripture then takes us how we're going to get redemption. And that's the connection between Numbers and Luke. Because God, Jesus himself, is in the census that eventually finds our way back to Numbers. As God protects and guides them through the wilderness leading up to that Bethlehem night. And then we see the consummation. Now as you and I come to the Gospel of Luke, we come near to the climax of the redemption story. We are about to find out how God will redeem his children from sin and reconcile them to himself. We now get introduced fully to who the prince is is. We're going to find out how he slays the dragon. And what we're going to see is through the teaching of the prince, he's going to elaborate a little bit more of how he is going to win the girl and bring him to himself. 
Luke tells the story of how, re how redemption of all creation will be accomplished. It contains, as you and I think of, the greatest story ever told. Authors Fee and Stewart in their book, How to Read the Bible, book by book, and I recommend that for you as, a, as just a studying tool. It's here, the quote is here on the monitors for you. They remark that Luke writes to show how the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, fulfills the story of God in Israel and the whole world. So it deals with who is Jesus? Who is Israel? What are they going to do in the whole world? They continue by stating on this next quote that how the good news of God's salvation for all people began through the power of the Spirit with Jesus in Galilee and in Jerusalem. So it's going to introduce and expose to us what redemption is and how it's going to be accomplished. God's goal of saving all of humanity. This is meant when Luke writes in verse 1 of chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile, look at this, a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now what we have to understand is there must have been other types of biographical sketches of who Jesus is. We see from there, he goes, there have been many ways to compile a narrative. I am going to do another one. He's not saying these others have failed, but it seems that this time God has chosen Luke and through the Holy Spirit to write another gospel of Jesus Christ. One that's going to be written with an, uh, by a physician and historian with a, with, a, with a desire for detail. One who will investigate eyewitnesses' accounts and compile a greater narrative. And God would use that to show what had been accomplished among us. Now, Pastor John MacArthur writes, when the Bible, when Luke says, those things that have been accomplished, what is that? He says that refers to the Old Testament messianic promises that have been given in Scripture. And what we're going to see is those promises are now fulfilled in Christ among us, meaning in this generation. So his desire is to share with us how redemption is completed. So as we work our way through this gospel, you and I must keep in mind how we interpret the man, the ministry, and the teachings of Jesus is predicated on knowing what part of the story of the Bible we are reading. Pastor Phil Howell writes that Luke will help us to see how the story of Jesus fulfills the story of God and Israel in order to bring salvation to the whole world. That which you and I are celebrating that which is forgotten, unfortunately, during this Christmas season by most of the world. Also, as you and I read through Luke's gospel together, Pastor Phil Howell encourages to look for a couple of other repeating themes. Number one, I believe this is, on, if you're taking notes, it's on the screen here, is that you and I will observe God's opposition to the proud and how he gives grace to the humble. One of the key themes throughout Luke's gospel is reversal of the world's values. Readers will notice this theme in Mary's song and in the details surrounding Jesus' humble birth. You'll hear it in Jesus' first sermon as he declares good news to the poor from Isaiah's scroll and in the Beatitudes found in his sermon on the plain. 
You'll see it powerfully illustrated when Jesus heals the six and invites the outcasts to join him in his new covenant community. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In the long middle section of this book, Luke 9 through 19, it's also called the travel narrative. Remember, he moves from Galilee all the way up to, or down, I should say, to Jerusalem. It's in in this section that Jesus teaches his disciples, often through parables, about the upside down nature of God's kingdom. Things are different than how the world values things. Jesus repeatedly explains how his disciples should use their money and possessions for the good of their neighbors and not for themselves. So Luke is definitely counterculture to how we live today. Once Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, Luke records this climatic conclusion as the ultimate demonstration of how God's kingdom flips the world upside down. Jesus fills the story of God and Israel, not by killing the Jews and the Romans, but listen to this, but by being killed by the Jews and the Romans. The prince who slays the dragon is first slain. Through Jesus' resurrection and ascension, God displays his fierce opposition to the proud and his amazing grace to exalt the humblest man to the most honorable position as Lord. So we are going to observe God's opposition to the proud and grace to the humble. So as we read through that, look for that as you see uh, Christ doing that in his teaching and in his ministry. The second thing that we'll also see along with salvation is witnessing Jesus welcoming sinners to the table. This is something that is very counterculture. This is not something they expected Jesus to do. This would be a thorn in the Pharisees' side throughout. Robert Karras observes in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal or is at a meal or coming from a meal. So Jesus is a foodie, it seems like. He loves to do things with people. And two years ago, I believe, we made a point of our churches. We wanted hospitality to become a center point of our church. And I I think over the two years we've made some, um, what's the word, progress towards that. I pray that as we read through Luke and we see that Jesus' method of operation was to do things at a meal. That's how he witnessed. That's how he taught. That's how he discipled. And I think we're seeing that in our small groups on, on uh, th- uh, Fridays. I'm so glad that they talked me into doing it this way. It is such a wonderful way to get together and disciple one another as we just share a meal together. So that is going to be one of the things as we go through the next three and a half, four years is to encourage, look at these meals with Jesus and how effective it is in sharing the faith. It ends in Luke chapter 24 with the resurrected Christ eating fish with his disciples to prove that he's not a ghost. In between these two stories are about a dozen references to Jesus eating meals or giving parables that include a great banquet. You and I experienced that even here this morning. We normally would with, with, with community eating a meal together. But not only this, but this shows that one day we will join him as his bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So be in cheer. 
It seems like the new heaven and new earth is like an eat fest. You guys are going to be banqueting all the gate. There's no Cato. There's no, there's no Weight Watchers. There's nothing. You're not counting anything except your blessings. The, the scriptures, fresh, that, did, I did, that, did, that didn't come expected. The scriptures freshly, freshly reminded us of how hospitality can be a powerful tool to accomplish our church's disciple-making mission. So that's just going back to what I said before. Luke invites us to witness Jesus welcoming sinners to his table so that we'll welcome sinners to our tables. Let me share with you, Dawn and I are some of the greatest sinners of the world, so invite us to your table. That's the application? Let's pray. No. So as we look at Scripture, there's many things as we go through Luke. Do not read Luke, uh, Luke on auto drive, autopilot. I want to encourage you to read through it and to read through it with new eyes, with these themes. Uh, you know, write these things on the Luke, wherever you're at, write them on your, and then look for these things. Look for ways how God is doing that. We need to be a church that opposes the proud and, and, and accepts the humble. We need to be a church that is inviting people together to a meal. Now, I use that as an analogy just to come together and so that they're known, that people aren't coming, sitting in the back seats, if any of you allow them to sit there, and, and, and then just leave and not be welcomed and cared for and looked in the eye and said, what is your name? Thank you for being here. And maybe, maybe we'll get to the point, hey, can I take you out for lunch real quickly? Do you have time to get for dinner this week or go for breakfast? Let's share a meal together. What I'd like to do now is we work through Luke. And Luke, the beginning of a, of a series is always a little bit different. I want to give you those some applications as we read through Luke. Here's what I want you to do with me these next three to four years as we journey through this. Is I want you to read through this gospel together. Uh, many times I, I try to, I'm not always good at doing that. I'm going to try to get better. Is I try by Thursday or Friday to give you the next passage to read. And I'll encourage you to do that. But not only that, this is one reason, one reason I gave you this booklet. Because I thought it might be easier for you to read this booklet than reading a book from your Bible. Uh, this too, by the way, is God's word. Uh, you can trust it. You can be assured that God, this is God-breathed. And it's good for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction for righteousness. It makes it easy. I, I did look it up. It takes an average reader about two and a half hours to read this book. So with that, you should be able to read through it in one month. I think some of you might be able to read through it in a week. So what would it be if you took and you read through this book 12 times this year? What if some of you were able to do it 25 or maybe even 52. You could read through this very simple. Luke is a very good writer. And he writes in koine, which is, means uh, just everyday language. So I've given it to this to make it easy for you to bring with you, to read during a break, maybe at breakfast, uh, maybe through uh, breaks when watching binge flicks, uh, Netflix, binge flicks, Netflix, or something else. You know what? You, you know, whatever, just read it. Pastor John MacArthur, let's go to someone who's much more knowledgeable than me. He says this about Luke's gospel. 
He says, in fact, not all the simple, not all the simple and complex legends of ancient cultures, not all the mysteries of past civilizations, the fanciful supernatural legends of the Greeks, the stories of the deities, false gods, and all kinds of tales of people that exist in their traditions of tribes and nations, the best of our own culture from Beowulf through Shakespeare to modern writers, Aesop's insightful fables, not all of them combined, not all of them combined can even begin to approach the truth and power of the story of Jesus. Which is the only story that can, has, and will change the eternal destiny of millions of people. Commit to reading this book together with me, would you? Commit to reading through the whole book each month. Can we do that? It takes an average reader, as I said, 2.5 hours to read through this gospel. Take it, whether you read it through your Bible, if you read it through your app, or just through this, read through it. Join with me, at least through the month of December, read through it. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do as we go through this book, is I'm going to ask you to pray through this gospel together. Luke writes to Theophilus that he wants them to have certainty concerning the things that you have taught. You and I are to have certainty about the facts surrounding Jesus, the man, the ministry, and the teachings. And one way that we do this is to pray for understanding. This is one of the most wonderful promises that Jesus gave us. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus promised his disciples that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Luke is an answer to that prayer. Praying is a gift of grace from the triune God who listens to the prayers of his children. Think of this, the most powerful, the most ultimate power of the universe listens to his children. Much better than you listen to yours. He hears you. He knows your cries. Pray through this gospel that God may open your mind and heart to the transforming work of Christ. So read through this gospel together. Pray through this gospel together. And lastly, I'm going to ask you to do something that's counterculture, is share this gospel together. Share this gospel together. Luke's gospel contains the story of salvation. God's acceptance and forgiveness of sinners, which includes people from all walks of life. It is so important for us to share this wonderful news to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, our neighbors, and all that God brings into our life. Don't just come to listen to the sermons, please, but speak about them after services. This means the meal after. Together with your family. Invite your friends to join you to hear about the wonderful life of Christ. Plan meals together with others and share with them what you are learning. In this way, God is glorified. Hence another reason why I gave you this. You can read it. You can take it with you. 
Or you can kind of mark it up with some of your favorite verse and then give it to someone and say, would you read this book with me? I've got a few extra copies if you'd like one. But I encourage you, read it, pray it, but then share it. Because if you don't share it, then they never hear the true gospel of Christ. Luke wrote an ordinary account that you and I may be certain of those things which we have heard, we have received, and we have believed. Would you join with me on this journey as we go through Luke's gospel, hearing the wonderful story of the prince who came to slay the dragon and win the girl? I'd like to close as the worship team comes up with this verse. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writing to the church says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Would you do that? Would you proclaim not yourself, not your family, not your children, but Christ? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In Luke's gospel, you and I will get to see the face of the wonderful prince, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Would you join with me as we continue in that study? Let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment, if you would, please. I pray that you just make that commitment. I think you'll enjoy Luke. It's a wonderful book, a wonderful story, many wonderful, neat things that happen. Most important, would you pray, read, and share? Father, we just come to thank you once again for this wonderful gospel. I pray that we would take these things under serious consideration and just move us, Lord, move us to, to read, to pray, and to share. Lord, let us kill those things that are time killers that keep us just from reading, just real simply, maybe a paragraph, maybe just one of the stories found in Luke. But Lord, let us read it, pray, share. Thank you so much. Join with us this morning as we continue to love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we close out? It is finished. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.